Hey guys, if you would please take your Bibles. We are going to get through the lesson today, amen? We're going to get through it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. We got lots to, lots to cover in the, the next six weeks with getting through 2 Timothy as well. So we got to finish off Titus chapter 2, but I, uh, I hope that you also would agree that this is just practical, real-world stuff for all of us as Christians to learn. If you don't have a handout, would you raise your hand? And my faithful assistant, Jason, will get you one of those. Um, it's our third week of just talking about Titus chapter 2, but it's so practical and so real. It's, it's vital that we do talk about uh, this stuff. And so um, the past two sessions, we've been talking about how God wants His people to live in this world today. And who doesn't need help with that? We've got lots of issues, hand out back here, lots of issues that we face in life that you, you hear America less and less wants to be a Christian nation. And the Democratic Party, per se, want God to be taken out of their platform. Well, they did vote that way, but they left him in. So now we'll see what happens with this next round and see if it actually, they, they vote on it again. We don't know. But, but just the fact that they want to do that, all the more class, it calls us as Christians to live righteously in this world. And it is a challenge out there because as the world becomes darker, our light can shine brighter. And we're glad that you are in church and in class to be able to get this encouragement from, from God's truth. And so might I say that you see there in the introduction, even though Paul wrote this to Titus 2,000 years ago um, it, it, to instruct pastors and to teach the flock how they are to conduct themselves, it is as relevant to us today as ever before because these truths, they're timeless principles. It's how God wants us to live righteously and holy and godly. And so we trust that, you know, as we go through this today, we complete it. We will get what God wants us to have. And so we ended last week with chapter 2 and verse 3, talking about the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And that last thing there, teachers of good things. God was instructing the older ladies, again, 65 plus. Hey, teach these younger ladies. That's us ladies, right? That's you. And the young men coming up after that, teach these ladies a number of things. And notice, notice what it says there. Teach, be teachers of good things, the end of verse 3. So what are those good things? Well, that's what we start in this morning. He gives a list of things to young women. Verse 4, that they teach the young women, and then he gives this list of things, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Hey, I mean, let's keep going. And that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, just notice that last phrase at the end. Do these things, ladies, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but I want you to think about the gravity that Paul is giving to Titus about how we are supposed to live. So let's jump in there this morning. Young ladies, that's us. Seven things are listed in these two verses. Some apply to married women, and some are for married or single women. The first thing he says there, class, is in your notes there, be sober, ladies, be sober. That means disciplined in mind and action. Now, if I were to ask your husbands today, ladies, hey, how sober is your wife? What would they say? What does sober mean? Maybe we need to define that a little bit, right? Let's define that a little bit. And so word, by the way, from the sober and discreet or temperate that we mentioned last week in chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about being sober. And in chapter 2 and verse 2, that the aged men be sober. This is a different word than that. So it's a little bit different. It does mean to be disciplined in mind and action, but it goes beyond that as well. And so it means don't lose uh, don't be loose, ladies, with your mind or your body, but stay under a disciplined lifestyle. Don't let the world creep in and lure you away, so to speak. It's especially important for these Cretan women that Paul was talking to because he was not complimentary of the men and the women of Crete in general. They did not have a good reputation. And so Paul is telling Titus, hey, teach these ladies 
to be sober. Don't be caught up in the world's stuff and what the cultural things are of the Cretans. If you look over in chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, one of themselves, one of their own Cretan people, a, a, um, a poet said, even of the prophet of their own, said that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. My goodness, they were lazy. There was, there was these character qualities that they had that were not complementary uh, to them. And so, ladies, we can, we can take that to heart. When Paul is saying to the ladies, hey, be sober, especially these Cretan young ladies, have a good reputation, ladies. Have your character that is impeccable. Don't be like the rest of the Cretans who just did not have a testimony of moral purity and sobriety. That's, that's a strong indictment against those ladies and the, the men as well. And so this would especially be unseemly for young women to behave in this way. And so Paul is making sure that Titus has these pastors teach the congregation about those. They're to be instructed by Paul to be more demure. Ladies, to be more dignified, to be honorable in the way that you present yourself, to be disciplined with uh, their personal speech and behavior. That's sort of what he's talking about here. It covers a broad brush of things. Yes, sir. Yes. It's true. There's a balance here, class. The Bible says, speak the truth in love, does it not? That's Ephesians 4.15. You just quoted a verse. It's right here in Titus. Look at Titus chapter 3, class. Turn over one chapter to Titus 3. Look at verse 2. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. There's got to be a... a, a um, a gentleness about us as Christians when we do have to tell someone about their sin. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to call out sin when, when we are uh, involved with their lives and it is appropriate for us to be the ones to talk about them. We're not supposed to talk behind their back and be evil speakers and brawlers and nasty. But yet we are to speak the whole counsel of God. We are to lovingly confront and challenge and come alongside those who are caught up in a sin and help them to overcome that. There's a balance here. We preachers, and not just us as preaching to the whole group, but one-on-one, -on -one, all of our responsibility is to encourage one another, to build up one another, to speak the truth in love. When someone is caught up in a sin, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. A lot of that confrontation that we sometimes have to do that we don't like to do it should not be in a confrontational, nasty, harsh way. There is a loving approach, a gentleness, a, a focus on the well-being of that person, not to just drill them into the ground, but to lovingly help them through their issue. So that they're blinded, they need to see that. And that's certainly, I believe, how Paul is instructing these men, hey, preach the word and teach the people to have sobriety and to, in this case as well, to be disciplined in their lives. And class, sometimes it's hard for us, but it does come down for our responsibility at times to lovingly address someone who is caught up in a sin if you have a relationship with that person. And so here, Paul is just telling the ladies, hey, be sober-minded. 
Um, they're being instructed again, demure, be dignified, be disciplined. Don't let yourself be loose in culture out there with your speech or your behavior. Keep a conduct that is worthy of Christ. Second, in your notes there, um, it says there clearly to love their husbands. Be affectionate as a wife towards her husband. So often, class, we, we know that the Bible teaches husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And so often we might think, well, God never really told the wives to love their husbands, but here it is in black and white. Wives, you also are to love your husbands. Now, what does that word mean? How are you to love your husbands? Well, men, it's supposed to be a sacrificial love for us. We must be willing to die for our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We must love and adore them and, and help them and lead them and be willing to do, give up our lives for them. It's an honorable thing. And at the same time, ladies, while men are honoring you and being willing to go to death for you, if it was required, Ladies, there is to be a reciprocation of a love for your husbands. It doesn't talk about a sacrificial love like men should be for their wives, but nonetheless, there is love there. And so we need to define what that looks like. It is, uh, again, as I put there, be affectionate as a wife towards her husband. So, so what does that mean? Well, it's, it's one Greek word here, and, and it's, um, it's the only place in the New Testament where it is written this word for love. So you got agape love, you have eros love, you have phileo love, and here you have the word philandros. That's the Greek word philanthropy. Giving, being caring, nurturing, and, and uh, reaching out to your husband in that regard. It's, it means to be fond of your husband and to show loving affection to him to lift him up. And so, um, in the Greek, again, it's the word philandros, and it means to be fond and, uh, of and, and to show loving affection to him in that way. And so, ladies, can I just say here, that would be the opposite. And I know this is a challenge at times because we as men aren't always living respectably as we should, Right? But it is the opposite of disrespecting your husband and putting him down or criticizing him and showing little affection or honors or honor to him. It's the opposite of that. It's saying God has called me to love my husband, to show him affection um, and to give honor to him. Uh, so it's important to note that it's not a love, ladies, based upon a husband's worthiness. You might feel, well, he doesn't treat me right. He doesn't deserve that. I'm not giving it to him. Do you know Paul never makes a stipulation or gives an exception or a condition for you doing this to your husband? And so he's saying um, it's supposed to be based upon your obedience to the Lord. It's based upon that wife's affection and obedient heart. So even unloving, now get this now, I say this gently, but even unloving, uncaring, ungrateful, and unfaithful husbands are to be loved and as much as we can respected, ladies. Because you know it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, that sometimes some ladies are married to an unsaved husband. And when you're married to an unsaved husband, how are you supposed to conduct yourself with that unsaved partner? The Bible says, having chaste conversation coupled with fear, meaning you have such a, 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 a godly lifestyle that it's a testimony to his lost condition that would say, you know, I know I'm not the best husband, he would say. I know that, that, that uh, I just, I don't treat my wife the way I should. But I'm watching how she unconditionally reciprocates or gives to me the love that I really don't deserve. There's something about that that is touching my heart. And that consistent, faithful, unconditional love and affection, even when the dude doesn't deserve it, 
is what a ministry, ladies, that you can have. And so I think all of us in here are saved men, so we don't have that situation from 1 Peter chapter 3. But what we do have sometimes is, ladies, we fall off the wagon. We fall short as spiritual leaders at times, as lovers ourselves, as caregivers and caretakers of you, our wives. The encouragement to you, ladies, is even when we blow it, and we will, that you stay in the fight. That you don't quit. That you say, you know, I know my husband, he just, he keeps doing the same thing and he, he doesn't know how to love me like I wish he did. But that doesn't call me to just write him off and just get upset and hold bitterness in our heart and not give to him like we should. That's what this word means. Philanthropy. I'm going to give. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to nurture even when they don't deserve it. That's the testimony, ladies, that can win the day for your husband. And so that's not an easy task. I, I get that. I get that. And yet that's what, what Paul is saying. And so get this, ladies. Um, and I'll speak for, for me, but but, but I think for all men as well, we, we men need your love, your support, your encouragement, your help. God said way back in Genesis, it's not good that man should be alone. Didn't he say that? So he said, I will make a helper meet or fit for him. And ladies, there is that role. My husband is going to be prideful, maybe try to do it on his own, but God has said he's not, it's not good that he be alone. He needs a helper. And so therefore, you helping him where he is weak, and we are all weak men. We, we just don't always want to admit it. But we are weak at times in certain areas. We need you ladies to be able to fill in our weak gaps where we need your support. We need your encouragement. We need your help. We need that knowing that even if we fail, you can still honor your husband. He might not deserve it. And he's just not getting it. And at times we can be that way. But Paul is saying to the ladies, love your husbands. Be philanthropic to him. Give him affection. Give him that attention. Give him that helper support that he needs. What a beautiful thing if it's working together where men are loving their wives unconditionally and like Christ loved the church and the wives then are reciprocating that love like, wow, I'd go to the end of the earth for this man. Do you know that's what marriage is really supposed to be? Just like that. Men, you're doing your part. And ladies, you're doing your part to support the man who is doing that. But if he's not being the leader that he should be, don't abdicate your responsibility that he's talking about here to just write him off and say, forget it. I'm not doing it. No, no, no. God says, stay at it. Pray for him. Be patient with him. Lovingly care for him. Show that philandrous type of love to him. That, that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Yes, Dave? Help me out here, Dave. I might be digging myself a hole up here. Give me something, would you? <laughs> Did you raise your hand, Dave? Okay. Not in these verses, no. And, and so in general, our, our position clearly, ladies, is you do not have to remain taking physical, sexual abuse from your husband. No, we say have a bag packed. If you're with an abusive person, have a bag packed. And if it gets out of control, you're out of there. And then you let the church, us, come along and we go to that husband and we do our part. And we say, Mr. So-and-so, you cannot treat your wife this way. And we'll call the police. That's, that's immoral. It's illegal. And we will have the law on them. Please know that. That is our heart. That is our heart. 
So there should be no abusive stuff at all. That's completely ungodly. And we will respond to that very swiftly. Just so that you know that, ladies. Um, that's, that's an important point to understand. So we're not talking about this level of abu- that, that abusiveness here. It's just that they're, they're not being as caring and loving and maybe as considerate as they could be. Ladies, don't let that discourage you. You stay at it. Stay in the fight. Um, good question. So, so um, yeah, because God made men with the need for a helper, ladies, can I just say it this way? Be his biggest cheerleader. Be his biggest supporter. Can you do that? And men, while they're doing that, and you notice that they're doing this, you ought to be very, very self-aware of how you are treating your wife. And that you're just not taking this for granted. And that you are praising her and thanking her. Hey, thanks for sticking with me here. Thanks for your encouragement. It has been a tough month or it's been a tough quarter. It's been a tough last year. We've been through a lot at work or finances or with the family issues going on. And you've been right here, honey. Thank you so much for that. Men, make sure that you are supporting and praising and honoring your wife for being there and being faithful. And it's just working together between you. And you're working as a fine-oiled machine. You're just stuck together and not allowing the devil to come between you. And don't ever declare war on each other because there's times where it's just frustrating or my husband's not doing this or she's not as supportive as she should be. The devil wants to see that. And I want you to remember, we, we said this before, but your enemy is not your partner sitting next to you. The devil's our enemy. Let's never forget that. And so we want to be loving towards our mate, our partner, and, and, and declare war on the devil and not let him infiltrate into our marriages. Yes, ma'am, Kelly. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of times this, if you go back and part of the curse was that competition now between mm-hmm. the woman and the man and it really does go back to the devil and sin, you know, so it really is a fight that we're in and sometimes you kind of can feel like, man, God, why is this like a marriage have to be difficult? Mm-hmm. But we're, we're sinners, you yes, know, and yes. it's part of the curse and everything that's in. So I think it's just, again, it's, a, it's the devil that we play. Yes, yes. Thank you for the reinforcement. The Bible says we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is a spiritual realm that we can't always see, but because we can see our spouse, we can go ahead and just feel like they're they're our biggest problem. And I want you to be thinking spiritually. God wants us to be thinking spiritually. No, 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 no. It's not this person next to me. And then you evaluate your own heart. Am I being the husband? Am I being the wife? Am I allowing little things to irritate me? And is it my own sin that I need to confess to God? And both of you doing that, keep short accounts with the Lord. It helps bring you together in unity and love and oneness. And it's beautiful. And that's what God wants. And so God is, is talking to us from Paul telling, Tim, uh, telling Titus to tell the pastors to preach this to the ladies, the young ladies. So young ladies, we want to get that. Young men, we want to get that as well. And so um, <clears throat> love your husbands. Again, no conditions, no exceptions are given for not doing this. We don't want to follow the feminism mantra here, female dominance, it's, not just, it's just not taught in Scripture. So show fond affection for your husband even when he doesn't deserve it. Commit yourself to the Lord and do it for His glory, lady, ladies, because um, it is your calling. Again, not because your husband is always worthy of it. We get that. And so then men, again, don't make it difficult for your ladies, your wives, to honor you. And to give you a compliment and to praise you because you don't know how to handle it or you just take it for granted or you don't show appreciation. No, be careful to know, wow, honey, you are the best. Thank you so much for your support. I know I didn't make that thing. I didn't handle that well. I, 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 I lost my temper with that thing or I did that over there with that. And, and, and uh, I'm thankful that you handled me in the right way. Don't make that the norm, fellas. Make it the norm where we are walking with God that, 
and our and our wives, it's easy for them to be able to elevate us and lift us up for God's glory. Okay, next one is love their children, ladies. Love your children. Shape the character of her children by loving through the difficult and the joyous times is what Paul is teaching. And so, ladies, this love must be selfless. Most, most of you, you know, you're already naturally good at this. It's to be selfless, though, and sacrificial. It's not based on their, your children's obedience. It's not based upon their good behavior, ladies. It's not based upon because they're so cute and adorable. Or they have pleasant personalities. Your love for your children is based upon a command to do so. So therefore, it's not an emotional love. It's a volitional love. And in your notes there, it's an important statement. Loving your children, ladies, is not emotional. It's volitional love. Meaning, it's an act of your will, of your volition. I want to do this. I choose to do this. This is my calling. And as we do that in honor to God, there's the emotional side that can come along. Oh, I just adore my children because they do need me and I do want to help them. I do care for them. That nurture kicks in. So moms, don't let your children wear you down to the point where you feel distant from them or can't give to them anymore. Be careful that you don't allow them to just, oh, I'm so tired of them just doing this all the time. And I know sometimes that can be hard because your ministry is to your children and sometimes they're just, they're not always compliant. That's why God made them cute. You know? That's right. That's why God made them cute, right? That's really, <laughs> that is why God also, ladies, gave you that nurturing ability. You nurse your children. You have compassion for them much more than men do, generally speaking. You are their protector. You're the mother bear. You're the mother hen. We all know that. And so you are very protective of your children. You're vigilant for them. God has put that in you. You're a natural nurturer to them. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God has, has created women for just that. And so in the process of doing that, ladies, don't let them become, though, the dominant relationship in your life so that they now consume you and control you so much and they take every ounce of effort from you that now you have not much to give to your husband or to other responsibilities that God has given to you as well. We never want to have a child-centered home, though we love our children. And we want to bring them up, as we'll see here in just a second, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But don't let your children, ladies, wear you down so that you feel distant from them. Show enough love that they will want to reciprocate what you model for them. Um, Again, it's a Greek word that explains a mother's fond affection for her children. It's to be constant and unending. But it is not to put the love of children in front of your husband. And I say that carefully too, ladies, and for you men as well. We're not to be, to be so child-centered that now you think, well, my primary role, my primary position, my primary purpose in life is to be the mother of my children. no. Truly, it's to be the wife of your husband. That's first. God said in the garden, I'll make man and woman, I'll bring them together, and they too will become one flesh. What God hath therefore joined together, let not man put asunder. That is the primary focal relationship of all human relationships, is the husband-wife relationship. From that relationship, from that biblical bond, comes children. Now, you left your parents, your children are going to grow up, they're going to leave you, although hopefully not permanently, right? They're going to leave you for a period of time. And then they grow up and we're getting ready to have Allison get married. And, but we want to have a relationship with her, but she's leaving the nest. And we welcome that, but we want to have a, a relationship that we've built with her. But guess who's left? Ann and I. And Ann and I 
get to have that wonderful, sweet husband-wife relationship because we've done our part in raising our children, hopefully for the glory of God, that they will now want to be with us and respect us and come and visit us over the holidays and we'll go to birthdays and all this stuff and be on the phone and, and, and uh, you know, Skype and so on. But primarily, after our children are raised, it's husband-wife relationship. And so you are raising your children one day probably to leave and cleave to their partner. So don't make them the primary relationship. And you know that that's often what happens when divorce happens. The empty nest occurs and the husband and wife, they look at each other after 25 years of raising kids and they say, who are you? Uh, well, we didn't really have that close a relationship. We didn't do much. Well, through the marriage it is to be where you're nurturing one another as husband and wife while loving and caring for your children. But keep that husband-wife relationship priority so that when they do leave the nest, you have this solid relationship and you look at your partner and say, wow, we're going to have a time, aren't we? That's going to be great. And so, you know, Ann and I are at that point. Praise the Lord. We are, I think we're loving, aren't we? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, come on. <laughs> we enjoy this stage of our life. It's great. Yet we love our children. And yet it only cost me $25 to go out for both of us. It doesn't cost me $95 to go out with all five of us. That's great. Praise God. It's good stuff. And yet we know, I was just telling Allison, her and I were running last night outside. I said, Shug, we, we love you and we're so excited about, you know, your marriage and everything. We're going to have the best of both worlds. If you live close, you'll come over and we'll have lunches together and we'll go on double dates and we'll do all these things. We're looking forward to that, honey. But at the same time, we get an empty house, man. We don't have to do all this other stuff that's going on. She's taken over the house with all the wedding stuff that's in there. Every room in the house has wedding something in our house. And so we're looking forward to having that next step out of there. But yet she's growing up and we have this relationship where we just love and enjoy one another. We're trying to plan double dates and do those things. It's just fun. It's a new level of relationship. And so you love your children, ladies, but you don't worship your children. You don't become overly attached to them so that they consume you and make you crazy over their life and running them here and running them there and feeling like I can't have a life of my own because I'm so involved with my children that I can't live myself. And then a spouse? I got a spouse? Are you kidding me? No. No, 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 no. We don't, that's not the balance that God wants us to have. So... <clears throat> Never have a child-centered home, nor let your children come between you and your husband, but rather bring them up in the nurture. This is Ephesians chapter 6. That is the education, the training, which includes chastisement, and bring them up in instruction. It's all of those things. That's what the word nurture there means in Ephesians 6, 4. And you bring them up also in the admonition, the, the correction, the rebuke, the warning of the Lord. All according to God's standard and plan and commandments and principles, you infuse that into them. So when they are old, they will not depart from it. What a beautiful thing. God has given us uh, so much to teach us and train us about how to live this life and to live it victoriously when we put it properly into practice. Next, be discreet. What does that mean? Well, that means to be sound-minded and self-controlled in verse 5, to be discreet, chase keepers at home. So let's go through these. It simply describes having common sense, ladies, and good judgment. Be sensible. Be rational. And be wise in your moral and your financial and your social choices. Use money and time wisely. Use your wits about you when possibly given attention by other men. Don't let yourself be infatuated or given over or feeling like, wow, my heart's fluttering because this person talked to me or I noticed they noticed me or they gave me a compliment. Don't flaunt yourself or allow flattery to lure you away from fidelity to your mate. You keep your emotions and your desires and your decisions under control and don't just act in the moment without sound discretion and sound judgment. That's being discreet, sound-minded, self-controlled. If we take it a little bit further, the next one is chaste. That word chaste, we don't use that word too much anymore, but it means innocent, it means modest, it means clean, morally pure, ladies. 
That means dressing modestly and being free from carnality or worldliness. In other words, also keep yourself from flaunting your stuff, so to speak, if I can just say it in a general way like that, or from flirting or trying to impress men in order to get attention to feel better about yourself. Don't allow yourself to be put out there or to be seen of men with a longing look because men are out there to do that. And especially in the Cretan, you know, culture, man, they were evil beasts. Well, with the level of pornography and all that's going on in our culture today, yes, men are, could be predators just with their eyes. Maybe they're not physically predators, but with their eyes. So ladies, don't give them the opportunity to undress you in their minds because of a provocativeness about the way that you may present yourself or dress. It's, it's chaste. That's what chaste means. Yes, Jerry. How do you, this verse conflates the Well, well I, it's probably stretching the text a little bit to, to think that it's about preaching. It's, it's, no, I didn't say it was about preaching. It's about lusting. If, you, if you're going to obey the word of God and you say, follow me as I follow Christ, presenting yourself on that pulpit in such a manner that men lust after you creates disobedience in men's hearts. It has nothing to do with preaching. It has to do with behavior. Yes, well, so... so the, the idea of the, a lady preacher getting up in front of everybody isn't taught in Scripture, we believe. So we would not even, you know, say that's a place where ladies should be. Um, but, but in the general interaction, ladies with out in public, uh, it's just keep yourself modest. Try not to draw the attention to yourself where a man can very easily, and I know you, you're not men, so you don't get it, but speaking as a man, it's easy for a man, and you understand this just morally, it's easy for a man's eyes to wander, so be careful how you present yourself not to be, create a stumbling block for men because you haven't maybe thought about how you are looking. And I wouldn't want my wife to be an object of desire for another man. That's, you know, for me only. So, so modesty and your behavior, not allowing yourself to be flirtatious, sort of all fits in here with this, this chaste mentality, this chaste behavior. And so, so never say or do anything that may arouse the attraction or attention of another man or cause him to lust. Um, you keep your own sexual passions subdued. Like Ruth, the Ruth says that she the Bible says that Ruth was a virtuous woman. She was virtuous. She was she was godly. She had she had moral character and she was a follower of God. That was what attracted Boaz. Because she was a, a righteous, godly woman. And that's what should be attractive for ladies today as well. Next is keepers at home. Keepers at home. Run the household lady, care ladies, care for the family. That word keeper there means this, and again, we don't want to misunderstand the text. The keeper there means a stayer at home to be domestically inclined. Now, what would we say about that, ladies? Because a lot of you work. Okay, so, so we would say, ladies, to summarize, if you work outside the home, don't neglect your duties at home. Make your home your greatest employment priority and fulfill your responsibilities with great energy and passion. So if you need to work outside the home, we get that, certainly understand that. Um, in our particular situation, um, Anne stayed home with the kids until they went off to kindergarten and first grade. And during those school hours, Anne was able to go out and work a few hours and did that all up through school. 
And so, but she knew that, okay, that's a limited time. I got him on the bus. I got him off the bus and I was home for them and helped him with homework, got the meal ready. And, and she was domestically inclined, meaning she, she was a stayer at home when the kids were there. And her primary role was not as an employee outside the home, but the caregiver of the home, even though working outside the home. Now, men, please know that when the ladies are being the caregivers at home like that, and they're also working outside the home, we're not allowed to just sit and do nothing. We have responsibility. <laughs> and all God's ladies said, Amen. Amen. Preach it. You owe me big time. <laughs> so, 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 men, don't come home and just put your feet up. Be involved in loving your kids, training your kids, teaching them, playing with them, instructing them, helping them. And don't be just aloof and distant. And ladies, thank you for the ministry that you have to our children. Honey, thank you for the ministry you've had to our children. And, and our children adore Anne. And, and she has a wonderful relationship with them. And so praise God for that. And so that's what you're looking to do. There's balance in all of these things. These aren't hard, complicated thoughts. But yet sometimes we can make them so difficult. And we just want to be truthful how we apply God's word to our situation. Ladies, just make that priority at home. Like, I want to be the best mommy I can be. Yes, I'm working and I want to do my best outside if I have to work and so on and so forth. But when I'm with my children, when I'm home, this is my castle. And, and, and I want to say, ladies, make your home your castle. Make it a place that your husbands want to come home to. It's a place of respite. It's a place of peace. It's a place of warmth. Your ministry does that in the home. Praise God. And so I love coming home. I love the ministry, but I love coming home. I love when I can greet Anne at the door and she sees me and we come in and we hug and we kiss and we, I'm glad to be home I'm thrilled. It's a place of respite for us. And that's how you want to be thinking about that. Like, this is the greatest place on earth. Why would I want to work so much extra overtime? I want to be home with my family. I love my family. This is part of what God's ministry is for me. And so you find balance in those things. That's, that's what he's saying here, to be that keeper at home. And so we don't want to overplay it. We don't want to overstrain over it. We just want you to find that balance, ladies, and make sure that your children and your family, your husband, your home is a priority to you. So God gave you the ability, again, to nurse your children and to be a nurturer and to be a protective, motherly, instinctual person like that, like no other. And so therefore, your kids will be in the very best care when you're able to give that care to them. And I believe that's what God is teaching. And God has put in that female gender the ability to come alongside and have that maternal love and nurturing that really another caregiver outside her can't give to, to equal. And so don't ever minimize, ladies, your value and your impact to both your husband and your children in the home. That's a vital ministry you have. And I just want to encourage you to think about that and really fulfill that as God puts that on your heart. The next thing he says here is to be good. Wow, that's just a general word, isn't it? To be good. In other words, you'll have a heart to give to serve others, to be kind and considerate, good-natured, is really what that means. And so ladies, would you describe yourself as kind-hearted? I'm kind-hearted. I'm, I'm sort of welcoming and people would like to be around me. When they come into my home, they feel a sense of warmth and I, I do have that sense of hospitality. You have a genuine concern and care for others and not just wrapped up in your own interests. You have capacity to even minister to others and give to others and care and serve uh, them at, from time to time. And so you can encourage a friend. You can pray for them. You can visit them. You can empower them. And you reach into someone else's life because you have that natural bent to care, to support, to assist, and to encourage. And I put there a couple verses in your notes from Proverbs 31, the, 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 uh, the chapter on women. Verse 11 says, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him, there's the word, good and not evil all the days of her life. 
The next verse is verse 26 of Proverbs 31. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Ladies, does that characterize you? I'm a good lady. I'm caring about others. I'm kind to others. I'm nurturing to others. That's the idea that Paul told Titus to tell the pastors to teach these young ladies so that there could be a church of unified believers, both men and women alike. And so uh, Titus chapter 3, just over a page, uh, look at chapter 3, verse 4, ladies and men. It talks about Jesus having this same type of uh, mentality. Look, it says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Just as Jesus have gave us a kindness, we are to have that kindness towards others. And ladies, especially for you, think about that. I have this kind, welcoming demeanor that pleases Jesus Christ and, and, and um, reflects His image and glory. Next is obedient. Obedient. Wow. You going to throw anything at me, ladies? own husbands, be in submission to their leadership, authority of your husband with a good attitude. Why, ladies? Why would God say that? That the word of God be not blasphemed, it says there at the end of verse 5. Be obedient to your own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. That's a pretty, that's a pretty stout statement there, isn't it? If your harsh mouth or disrespectful attitude or tone to your husband is one of dishonor to his position of leadership over him, the Bible is teaching here that you're being guilty of blaspheming God because he is the representative head of your home. And so ladies, don't let that attitude creep in so that you think, well, I just, my husband is this. It says, you're then dishonoring the order that God has placed in your home. And we don't want to be guilty of that. When you speak evil of him or treat him dishonorably, it's like dishonoring God because he's that representative under God uh, for you in the home. So be careful with your words. Be also careful with your actions and reactions. Uh, you can dishonor your husband by what you say or even fail to say. And so guard your testimony and the testimony of your family. Uh, failing to be submissive, ladies, in this case to your husband is, is a thing that can bring that blasphemy to God because we're just not fulfilling the role that he's called us to. And so consider that as you think about these things. All right. Those are the young ladies. There's some powerful thoughts there, I realize. There's some, some heavy truths, but that's what God's teaching us. But as we put those into practice, it can be a, a beautiful, beautiful home where God flourishes and your children flourish and your marriage, marriage flourishes as well. He doesn't leave the young men out, though. Young men. It's not quite as detailed here, but look what he says in verse 6. Young men, likewise, in the same way I just instructed the older, the younger women... You exhort to be sober-minded. Same thing, not to beat a dead horse, but it means to be sensible, gentlemen. In control of your thoughts and words and actions, don't be a, don't be a, a control freak. Don't be a harsh dictator, dominator in your home. Don't be a mean instigator in your home, hardly. It means sensible, be in self-control. Your thoughts, your words, your actions... You're to exercise good judgment and not to be impulsive or irreverent, self-willed or arrogant because God has given you a position of leadership or authority in the home. You are never, ever supposed to use that positional authority over your spouse to dominate them in a harsh and a cruel way. Never, ever, never. We should picture gentleness and kindness and love and care not the other way around. And so be sober-minded, he says. He says, display a pattern of good works in verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, and sound speech in verse 8. So that pattern is a consistent lifestyle of good works that's not hypocritical. 
Gentlemen, it's not bipolar, okay? We're going to be talking about that in this, uh, this Wednesday thing. It's not bipolar. It's not up and down. It's not emotionally driven. You make wise and thoughtful decisions as well. Uh, the godly man shows a consistent way of living that is above reproach that makes even the older man take note and be pleased with his character. It's not in and out of the faith. Well, we're going to come to church this week and not next week. We're going to read the Bible and pray, but then we take a, a month off or whatever. It's a consistent way of making God the priority in your life and loving your family in your life. You're not in and out of the faith. You're not emotionally up and down. At the drop of a hat, you fall apart or you walk away or you, you're irresponsible. No, no, it's not any of that. You're Mr. Consistency in the home. And you ask yourself, would my wife characterize me as that? Is that who I am? And so be your family's spiritual leader, fellas. That's this pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing doctrinal purity. We talked about doctrine last week. Though Paul talks about sound doctrine in previous verses here in Titus. There are different words in the Greek. It's only the only place here that it's really called doctrinal uncorruptness. The only place used in the New Testament here is, is, is what he's saying. In addition to having a pure and a sound mind, which Jesus taught to his 12 disciples, Paul also seems to be referring to moral purity for these younger men in the ministry. If they had failed to keep themselves doctrinally or morally pure, it would grossly affect their testimonies and make them an easy target for ridicule and rejection of their message because their walk didn't match their talk. And so, fellas, for us in our ministries at home and even to your testimony outside, make your walk match your talk so that we're not inconsistent. We're pure. We're genuine. We're real. We're not hypocritical. And others see that in us. Okay, he says we are to have gravity, fellas. That means simply be dignified. You should be serious-minded about godly teachers and commands that respect the church members as well. And um, you are a man in authority, whether it be business or politics or your home, and you're going to keep the dignity of the positions that you have. We can enjoy fun and enjoy frivolity and get out and enjoy life. And at the same time, there's times where we are a little bit more serious about things because we have to make important decisions regarding our family. And so don't allow that to be weakened. And then sincerity, sound speech, verse 8, is simply no moral or spiritual decay. Be spiritually incorruptible. Be above reproach in your character, your behavior, and your speech. So much so that if any would disagree with you, that would be shameful to them because your testimony is strong. Very quickly, when I was a rep, a sales rep for Wyeth down in uh, Maryland, the, my competitor would go behind me into the hospitals that I was going to and he would badmouth me and say, you know, that Eifert guy, you know, that, that Wyeth guy who's selling you this formula, that's junk. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he's doing this, that, and the other. And the ladies who I would talk to, the, the head nurses in the pediatric units that I would get into because of my consistency and being in those places and they got to see who I was and I was a Christian and I was honest and a godly man, they would defend me and they told me when I came in that say, yeah, that Simulac rep was in here and he was just mouthing about you and, and telling you, you know, telling us bad stories about you. And they said back to, her, to him, we don't believe you. We know who he is and we're not accepting it. And they kicked him out of the hospitals and put my product in the hospitals. Praise God. Men, you have, a, you have a character that's above reproach. Let it rip. Don't be double-minded. Be single-minded and honest and true in all that you do. Servants is next. Be a good testimony at work. Work hard. Serve God. Love God. Live for God. Here's the, um, here's the, the um, summary. I just want to give you this now because we, we need to conclude. And that is this. Spiritual growth assignment on the end. So how do you measure up to your description as outlined by Paul here in Titus 2? Whether young or old, male or female, Christ wants us to represent Him well class here on earth. So review these character qualities and determine to apply them to your life as a godly Christian and servant who is well-pleasing to Christ. He's our ultimate goal. We want to please Him. And let that show in your families. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank You for the time. 
Thank you for the Word of God that brings clarity to our lives, sometimes hard to take in. It's a tall order, but God, with your power, with our commitment to you, you can give us the strength and the grace and the mindset to apply these truths to our lives. Help us as men and women, husbands and wives, dads and moms, to walk with you, to apply these to our lives and make a difference in this world for your glory and the benefit of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys.